You know, whenever you can go from Genesis to Revelation, you better make sure that your oven was not turned to timer because we're going to be here all day, people. We're going from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. Let, let's pray before we uh, read God's Word. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Mm. As we enter into this Lenten season, O oh Lord, how we thank you for the grace that we have found and continue to find in Jesus Christ and in your kind and gracious Father's heart that welcomes prodigals like us back. You're not only the God of second and third chances, that there, you, you don't count, Lord. <laughs> you don't keep score because our sins and the sin of the world were placed upon Jesus on that cross so long ago. And in that empty tomb, we find your acceptance of that sacrifice so that we, we are now free, free to follow, free to come home, free from judgment because we have found in you grace. And so guide us as we read today and in coming weeks, as we engage in Lenten practices. Some of us have already begun through special prayers or observances or giving something up. Some of us have already fallen short of our Lenten resolution. And so we thank you for the grace we find there to start again. And so guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to hear your voice speaking through these scriptures and through this faulted preacher. And so, Father, lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we read, I want to share some thoughts. <clears throat> Among the many historical items and artifacts that were unearthed in preparation for our gallery. If you haven't uh, taken time, please do so uh, to spend time in the Greenwich Gallery, the history of Greenwich Presbyterian Church. Uh, among the items was unearthed an envelope sealed in a box that I had never been digging around in. And in that envelope that had never been opened were a packet of typed Minutes. We Presbyterians take the minutes, right? Minutes from the elders' meetings stating back to the 1850s and 60s transcribed from long flowing writing onto uh, pages that we could read more intelligibly when Greenwich was yoked with the Warrenton Presbyterian Church, interestingly. I want to read from the minutes uh, one entry from Greenwich, August 3rd, 1856. The session met at the call of the moderator and was opened with prayer. The moderator stated the object of the meeting to inquire into certain rumors affecting the Christian character of Brother Malin Culp and which had acquired general currency in the neighborhood which rumors were to the effect that said brother had since his connection with the church been guilty of playing cards for money and doing this on the Sabbath day. Brother Culp, 
the accused, being present, waived the regular constitutional notice and requested immediate trial upon said charges and witnesses being present vis-a-vis Messrs. Uh, W.T. Hall and James Riley were upon solemn affirmation in due form examined in the presence of the accused and by him cross-examined, after which the accused was heard and withdrew from the session. Whereupon, after full consultation and deliberation upon the subject, the session came unanimously to the following conclusion that, whereas it has been proved by the evidence of witnesses whose credibility is unimpeached, that Brother Malin Culp has, since his connection with this church, been guilty of conduct unbecoming a Christian in being engaged in the company of the wicked irreligious in the practice of card playing for money and has thus brought reproach upon the cause of Christ and subjected himself justly to the censures of the church. Therefore, it is the judgment of the session, the session's the body of elders. Therefore, it is the judgment of the session that said Malin Culp be and he is hereby excluded from church privileges until he shall furnish satisfactory evidence of his repentance and that upon giving such evidence to the satisfaction of the session, he be restored to membership. The session then closed with prayer, signed there the clerk and the moderator. Um, Call the neighbors and cancel out on beers and bunko tonight, okay? minutes of the church right here at Greenwich the elders were so concerned for the spiritual welfare of the flock and of this individual for for the honor of God's great name that they were willing to confront a church member call him before the elders gather witnesses and examine said brother Culp but not only that that they made determination but the language here judgment Judgment is the word they used to exclude him from church privileges until his repentance could be demonstrated. They excommunicated him. You know that's what that means. They excommunicated him. Wow. Same church, different time. Heard today... Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in the case of Brother Culp? If we were to read this out, just, you know, put this on Facebook, what would would our society say? Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys here? Uh, To our modern ears, I believe it would be quite clear that Malin Culp is the victim, right? And the pastor and elders are the bad guys. They are at fault. They are the guilty ones of being mean, of being harsh, of being narrow, and in their own words, of being judgmental. Friends, we have entered the season of Lent, a season whose observance calls for us to be judgmental. Calls for us to examine the conduct and behavior and attitudes and actions of Christian believers. Lent calls each of us to such activities, to examine and to judge the conduct, not of other Christian believers, but of this Christian believer. Now you're pointing to yourself, not me, okay? 
Lent is the season of self-examination, of self-judgment. Examining our own actions, our own attitudes, our own words, our own ways, our own conduct. Is it becoming the glorious name of Jesus Christ that we bear? Hmm. Have we brought reproach upon the cause of Jesus Christ? Upon examination, we are then called to fess up. What, what, what does it mean to fess up? I don't know the word fess. It's short for something, right? What's the longer word? To confess. To fess up is to confess or own up. We own up or we confess. No, we throw it together and we say we fess up. We fess up to the things we have done or the things we have left undone. The problem with self-examination, though, is that few of us do it well. Left to ourselves without any assistance, we will drift typically into one of two errors in the season of Lent and a season of self-examination. Some of us will be too harsh on ourselves. For we walk around with a loathing opinion of ourselves. We are very self-critical, sometimes sadly reflecting scars that we have picked up. Sometimes from families, as children. You can't do anything right. There's no hope for you. And sometimes that voice of a harsh father or mother or some other family member has settled into our heart and so we are too harsh on ourselves but others of us are too lenient and we compare ourselves to way worse people at least i'm not like that brother culp and so we need help to do this work well Self-examination is hard work, which is why we don't do it very much. It is holy work. It is necessary work. It is essential work for cultivating a mature, wise, fruitful, and flourishing life in Christ. But it's hard work, which is why we do the work together, which sounds like a contradiction we self-examine together. But that's what Lent is. It's a season that we all go through and then we all take time examining ourselves. Not others, but ourselves. So we engage in self-examination in community. This becomes a shared experience. And so a Lent that is properly observed isn't just about my activity of giving up chocolate or beer or, you know, Netflix. It's about the work of examination of my life and my conduct before a holy God. But I can't do this alone. You can't do it alone. We need to do it in community. Because a Lent properly observed and practiced doesn't end with judgment, it ends with grace. At the end of the Lenten season is the cross, and then there is the empty tomb. And so Lent is not about despair, but, but hope. 
Now, not all of us were able to gather on Wednesday evening, and so Eric, if you could pull up, there's a litany that we went through and that we spoke together. Where's my clicker? Is he not in the room? Oh, there, okay, thank you. Thank you, I didn't, didn't, he sees maybe somewhere, so. So let's, let's say this together, okay? Where it's italicized, the congregation spoke, and where it is in regular print, I will go ahead and lead, okay? And so let's say this together. Holy and merciful God, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And I will read this. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Have mercy on us, Lord God. We have not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, O God. And then the next page. We confess to you, O God, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives. We confess to you, O God, our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people. Our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves. We confess to you, O God. Our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work. We confess to you, O God. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to commend the faith that is in us. Accept our repentance, O God, for the wrongs we have done, for our neglect of human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, O God. Restore us, O God, and let your anger depart from us. Hopefully you thought about your life, that self-examination in community. And then we hear the assurance of pardon. God is faithful. God is just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And everybody said, thanks be to God. And so for the next several weeks, I want to explore these Lenten themes of judgment and grace. Grace and judgment. And observe in Scripture how these two walk hand in hand. They are friends. They walk together. You never find one without the other. In God's judgment, we find a grace revealed. In grace, we will always see some act of judgment. What Paul writes about in Romans is the kindness and severity of God. The kindness 
and severity of God. You know, the same scalpel that cuts also does what? It heals, right? The same parental punishment for the child stealing a cookie and lying about it and sending that child to the room, that act of judgment is an act of grace because it teaches the child respect and responsibility and truthfulness. And so from Genesis to Revelation, there's a golden thread of grace and judgment that runs throughout the whole story in the garden, which we're going to read. Trust me, we're going to read the scripture in just a moment. In the garden, we see that with Adam and Eve. Noah and the ark, the judgment upon the world, we find the grace to preserve. Moses and the exodus, as as the people are set free, there was judgment upon uh, Israel. The prophets and the exile, Jesus on the cross, and as we will read also this morning, John's vision of the new heaven and new earth. And so, let's read from Genesis to Revelation. What do you say? If you haven't opened already, here's where it starts. Uh, Turn to page four and five if you haven't already. Trust me, we're at the end of the sermon almost, okay? Some of you are getting nervous right now. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2, down in verse 15, and then skip over to chapter 3. Genesis 2, 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Skip over to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between her offspring and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them and The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The garden is a place of abundance. It is a place of grace. It is a place of goodness. It is a place of freedom and fruitfulness. But there are limits in the world that God made. You may eat of any tree of the garden, Adam, but this one. And God gave a clear warning. He graciously gave a clear warning that there would be severe consequences. So there's kindness and severity we know the story he takes and eats and the judgment falls immediately and their eyes are open and they are ashamed immediately and they begin to cover up it's a self-inflicted wound what Adam and Eve experience we are not made to be God we are made to be like God in the image of God as God intends for us we are not made to be the ones who determine good and evil we're the ones who are made to follow what God says is good and evil and so the judgment falls but in grace God seeks them Adam where are you he seeks him and and he finds him and and he calls him out in grace God calls him out of the bushes why Why are you there? He leads Adam to a place of confession and taking responsibility. And parents are still doing that with their children. You need to say you're sorry. (laughs) And so God graciously leads Adam to a place of owning that. And Adam and men have since been doing the same kind of tosses Eve under the bus and God, the woman you gave me. He gets to confession. We can do better though, men. But in judgment, God pronounces a curse. A curse upon the man and the labor. And so men struggle at work. Men find their identity in work and for many men, as soon as they retire, they feel like they have no identity. Their identity is wrapped up in work and their stress is wrapped up in work. And the curse falls upon the woman also. Pain and childbearing, but pain and child rearing. There's no pain like the pain of a mother when a child goes astray. 
And there's no pain like the struggle between a husband and wife when the husband's trying to dominate and rule over and the wife is trying to just desire intimacy with her husband. And so we live this out still. We, we live this. And so in judgment, God pronounces a curse, but there's, there's a gracious note in that curse upon the serpent. I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and hers, and that offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. The first preaching of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman, a human descendant who will come, who will crush the serpent's head. In grace, God clothes them properly. Fig leaves won't do it. That, that's us trying to cover up our own. Instead, it's animal skins implying that a life has been lost. A sacrifice has been made. The second foreshadowing of the gospel where blood has been shed in order to cover the nakedness and the vulnerability and the brokenness and the sin of the human family. But in grace and judgment, in, in grace God clothed them properly, but in judgment there was a life that was sacrificed. In judgment he banishes them from the garden. In grace it is lest they take their hands and lay hold of that tree of life and live forever in a condemned way. Grace and judgment working here in the garden. The session records do not tell us the rest of the story of Malin Culp. Did he submit to the suspension? Did he labor to clear his name? Did he repent and amend his ways? And was he restored to church fellowship? Sadly, it is lost to history, but God knows. Was it grace or was it judgment that called him out? Yes. Yes, it was. Both grace and judgment. The judgment of his behavior was a gracious invitation to be restored into right relationship with the Lord. Was it grace or judgment that called Adam and Eve out? Yes. Yes, it was. In the case of Adam and Eve and the human family, <laughs> we have the rest of the story. We don't know what happened with Brother Culp, but we have the rest of the story. And so if you would turn to me to Revelation chapter 22. I told you we'd get there, and it's not even 10 o'clock yet. Come on. Getting close. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22, page 1939. You go tell all your friends that you went from Genesis to Revelation in the sermon this week. They won't believe you. Gen uh, Revelation chapter 22, what do you see right there, right above the numerals 22? What does it say? Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. What curse? 
the curse that we just read all the way back to the garden. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's the rest of the story. And we've yet to have this full experience, right? We're in the middle of the story. This is John's vision of what awaits us. The eternal kingdom that John has in this vision is pictured as the Garden of Eden. But it is the garden restored. No longer is that flaming sword guarding it. Now it is open. And there's the river of the water of life. And there's the tree of life. And it bears crops every month. And the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Oh, do we need those leaves now? And there's no longer any curse. There will be no sin. There will be no judgment. There will be no hardship. There will be no more pain. There will be no suffering or death. That will all be past. And then the throne, and, and, and there's the Lamb. If we read earlier in Revelation, it is the Lamb that was slain. That's how the Lamb comes to us, right? Behold, I looked, and there was a Lamb, as if it had been slain, but he was alive. Who is the lamb that was slain? And so here's the grace of Eden restored and the reminder of the judgment that fell on Jesus Christ, the lamb. And so Lent is an opportunity for us all to confess our sin, our great need. And it is an opportunity for us all to embrace God's son who is our great savior. And so let's go into Lent, all right? Amen and amen. Father, make it such that we are different people because we've heard your word, because we have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lamb who has been slain for us. Guard us, Lord, from walking out of here with the self-loathing voices that we've known from the past, perhaps a parent, a, a family member, a sibling or some other who has condemned us. You do not condemn. You forgive. And so help us to walk in newness of life today and every day. And we pray for the memory and the family of Malin Cole. We do not know, but he is known to you. And we pray for his soul and the souls of those who came after him that they would know the redemption of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and